The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which will be read throughout the sermon. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It begins. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Right off the bat, this parable starts out with a surprise. So the, the king is throwing this wedding feast. And so, I mean, when we're talking about the wedding feast of a king, we are going to be talking about a really awesome feast. Unlike anything you will eat anywhere. And what's more, it's a wedding feast. I got kind of a, the illustration I could think of is when I was on Vicarage, we had not that far from us a Ritz-Carlton Hotel. In case you don't know, those are a little spendy. Um, if you want to stay there for a night, it is only $800. That's all. So <laughs> that's for the cheap rooms. Well, anyways, if you, one of my past, I never got to do this wedding by the senior pastor got to do the wedding, but he got to do a wedding at what Ritz Carlton, and he told me that the food that they had laid out, it had everything. There was like a, there was an eight, there's a Chinese section, there was burgers and fries, there was a, an Italian food. It was like, if you, if you came away hungry, it was your own fault. It was like the absolute best food because they're, most of the chefs that work there make about 100000 a year cooking that food. So that, that kind of, think of that kind of a feast, but even greater than that is the feast of a king. And so people are invited to it. And what it, is, it says that they would not come. That right away is a shock. Why wouldn't you come to this extravagant feast that you've been invited to? And so again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And actually, the Greek word, the way it's translated, it better be translated as, but they did not care. It's apathy. It's like, whatever, who cares? It's absurd. 
But as it continues, it says they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad, or you could translate that as wicked, both wicked and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Now to understand wedding garments, this is not a comment about how one, not entirely, about how one dresses. Because reality is, is that the people on, who are out on the highways, they couldn't afford a nice garment. Well, the thing is, is the garment was provided by the king. It would have been an extremely beautiful, very costly garment. I mean, we're talking about at a time when they did not have mass production. We're talking about in a time when to produce a garment, it was made by hand. And it was using material that was extraordinarily expensive. Clothing was not cheap in that time. And so the wedding garment that would be provided by a king at great expense to the king to show up to a wedding without it would absolutely be a slap in the face to the king saying, I don't care. I look just fine. Remember, this is the people in the highways who really their clothes is more probably covered in their own urine, their own feces. They chose that over the king's garment. And he said to him, friend, it's very interesting that he uses the word friend. It's going to let you know that he does not take pressure. He is very hurt by this. How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, or as it says more literally, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So, on this, when Jesus is telling this parable, on the one hand, it is definitely being spoken against the Pharisees, who are in attendance as he says this. But this is a, definitely a parable that is spoken to us. And one of the keys to understanding this is that the word, it says that it's a dinner. The Greek word that is translated there is usually refers to basically a noontime meal. So we're talking about a huge lunch. And so, and that's important to note because in Luke chapter 14, there's a very similar sounding parable, but it's not the same. That one is a banquet. It's an evening time meal. And what's de depicted in there is what goes on in our Old Testament reading in Isaiah. That's talking about the end times. This is talking about the not quite yet. And so the king is God the Father. 
And the son, obviously, would be Jesus. And he indeed had a wedding. It was on a Friday afternoon. Actually started about 9 o'clock in the morning and went until 3 o'clock. Where he hung upon that cross on that Good Friday. And so he said to, at one point he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Which, by the way, when he says woman, it's not like today. If you say woman now, you're probably going to get slapped. But in that time, when you say woman, that was a way of saying ma'am. That's actually a, ter- a term of respect. But anyway, so, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your, or, so behold your mother. And again, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or in other terms, it would be, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then a little bit later, after he had died, the soldiers came up to Jesus with a spear, and he drove it into his heart. By the way, that is what, why the Catholic Church is called Sacred Heart. Because the sacred heart is the heart that was pierced. And so he pierces the heart and out comes blood and water. And the spear actually goes in to the very place that God took from Adam to create Eve. And so a man leaves his father and his mother to be united united to his bride and the two become one flesh. In the waters of baptism, when you were brought to the waters of baptism, the pastor said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At that point, you received a robe of righteousness. As it says in Galatians, All you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed in Christ. See, it is in baptism you receive the wedding garment purchased by the blood of Jesus. It is in baptism that the church is formed and made. That is the the unification. Ephesians 5 really hints at that. Where it talks about, you know, people don't love Ephesians 5 because it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. We don't like it because it just grinds with our culture. But the note, for one, does not say that husbands are supposed to make their wives submit to them. One. Two, is submission is actually talking, it's a military terminology. Basically, it is telling the wife that the job of the husband is to die for you. To be the head of the house means that he is willing to endure that, have nails driven into his hands and his feet, to have a crown of thorns placed upon his head, and to be whipped and flogged in order that his bride may live. That's what it means to be the head of the house. And to submit means, wives, you're supposed to let your husband do that and not get in the way. Yeah, it's a lot harder. Submission is actually a little bit better than you think it is. And by the way, the reason why the wives don't get in the way is because your job as a wife is to protect the children. 
You don't get in the way of the husband. The husband's getting in the way of, to protect you so you could care for the children and so you could protect the children. That's why God ordered it the way he did. But in, in that text, Paul specifically mentions that marriage actually is all about Christ and the church, which is formed in baptism. So this is, there is a wedding feast. We are the bride. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. And every, sudden, every time you hear the word preached, every time you read the scriptures, that is a love letter from your God, from your bridegroom, telling you of the extravagant work that he went through to make you his, to claim you. And note, in, by the way, if you notice in the wedding, when it talks about the people that God invited, and I intentionally use that kind of graphic imagery of their clothing, because that is our righteousness. Before, apart from God, our righteousness is like urine-soaked clothing, covered in our own, in our own feces. It's ugly, it's nasty. And he takes that off. And he gives us a beautiful garment of righteousness. He gives them himself. And notice also, he invites the wicked and the good, when in reality, everyone's wicked. We are all wicked ones, and yet he invites us. He makes us his bride. At extraordinary cost. Shedding his blood on the cross. Dying for you. That's the cost. And when does this feast happen? Note, I may mention that this is a dinner. So this isn't talking about the end of the world. Well, I'm going to give you a hint. There is one that started at 8 o'clock this morning, right here in this room. You're right, you're at it. And at 10.30, we're going to have another one. And last night at 6 o'clock, we had one there. And guess what? Next week, the same thing's going to happen. In the summer, it's a little different. We have a 9 o'clock in the morning. We have 9 o'clock only on Sunday. But that is the feast. That's the banquet. But that's the meal that he is offering. That is the wedding feast for the son of the king, the son of God. And you are invited every single week. And by the way, sometimes you're the servants inviting people. So this speaks to when we have come up with excuses as to why we can't attend. Or this is things you could say to people when they tell you why they can't attend. Because sometimes it is. It's just straight up apathy. Like, I don't care. i got better things to do. Do you not know what it costs for you to be here? I'm not talking about the cost of the building. I'm not talking about the cost of, I'm not talking about financial money. It cost Jesus himself. It cost him being brutally beaten. It required that God became human flesh simply to suffer and die. 
an excruciating form of death that most of the world will not do because it's so cruel. He endured that in order for you to be here this day. And yet, it is met with apathy. Or perhaps we let the business of our days and of our lives get in the way. We decide, well, you know, I got stuff to take care of at home. The house is messy. Um, I need to mow the lawn. But who honestly mows the lawn on Sunday morning? You probably don't get going until noon anyways. Or perhaps, or whatever the reason, I got to run errands or something of that nature. I just don't have time. I have more important things. What a slap in the face to our God. How humiliating it is every time we say we've got something better. Or perhaps we go the other direction and we insult the servants. We, ins we, do not, we look shamefully upon the servants of God. This could be speaking about members of the congregations, or the members of the church. It could be speaking to the pastors. It could be speaking to the way we treat our teachers, our Sunday school teachers, whatever it might be. See, one of the things is, as a pastor, pretty much every pastor gets this wonderful experience where they learn that somebody really does not care for the way we preach. That's the way it goes. But I'm going to let you in on a secret. Did you know Moses was a bad preacher? Did you hear God say, when Moses said, I can't speak well, God didn't go, oh, shoot, I, I'm going to have to pick someone else. The exodus is off. They're going to keep in slavery for a few hundred years until I find a better preacher. No. He says, oh, neat. I'll, I'll, I'll use your brother Aaron. Or how about another one? Paul. He was a great writer. But he wasn't a good preacher. And you know people like that. I know maybe it's one of some of you. You're a really good writer, but public speaking absolutely is like, nope, not going to happen. That is what Paul was. And yet he was the greatest missionary that ever lived. Because see, the thing is, is when we, or another thing that happens, and by the way, this is not saying that as pastors we don't work on our craft, we need to. It's not saying that, it's not excusing the weak, all of the weaknesses that we have. It does not mean that we don't work on things. And so even as a congregation, as a congregation, many congregations, and I think it's particularly notable amongst Germans, sorry, I'm being a little <laughs> prejudiced here, but Germans tend to be a little cold and not very, as welcoming as we sh should be. And yes, we need to work on that. The writer to the Hebrews says that we are to entertain all those, be sure to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unaware. And after all, this is our house. By being the bride of Christ, this is our house, and when somebody comes to visit, what are you supposed to do? Somebody walks into your house you don't know, you don't go, eh, whatever. You're probably going to go find out, hey, how's it going? Because you'd feel a little, otherwise it's really weird. So yes, we're supposed to, we all need to work on it. But it's still not a good excuse to not attend worship. Because the thing is, if somebody says that to you, or says something about style of music, 
Maybe they don't like something about the instruments, something about the hymn selection, whatever. You would just say, you say, oh, I, you're coming to worship the, um, the pastor? You're coming for the, or, the organist? And we have wonderful organists. But you came for the organist? Oh, I always, I always go to church for Jesus. I don't care who the pastor is. As long as he's preaching what's true, I don't care. How I'm coming to hear about Jesus. And that's it. Because not every church can get a Billy Graham level preacher. But as long as the pastor is preaching what is in sound doctrine, what is in accord with scripture, we are to sit there and gladly hear it. Because it is God's word no matter how it is delivered. And when we despise it, when we mock it, we are not mocking the pastor. We are mocking God. Remember the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy? What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we should not despise preaching and his word. Right? That is what you are called as a church. We come for God's word. We come for the feast. We come for the celebration. This does not excuse, yes, as pastors, we've got to work on things. And we always got to work and be better. It's not excusing that. But I'm showing it's not an excuse to neglect God's word. To neglect his supper. Because that is what gives you life. That gives you forgiveness. The word gives you life, gives you forgiveness. It guarantees it is something that's constantly feeding you and preparing you for the day when you get to celebrate, as it says in Isaiah. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It'll be sad on that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. His salvation is every time you hear his word. His salvation is in your baptism. And his salvation is in the bread and wine. Gladly receive it. And go, you are the servants. Go and invite people. If they're on the highway, if anybody's just sitting on the side of Highway 59, their car's probably broken down, help them out. But wherever you find the people, invite them. Invite them to the feast. Because it is, the blessing is theirs. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.